0: We're going to finish up with uh, Romans chapter five. I asked last week. I asked Pastor Joel to to, to leave chapter the rest of chapter five with me. Because I just felt like I had some some things that I wanted to preach, and so he honored that. If you're a guest with us this morning, we're going through the book of Romans this summer. How many of you've enjoyed this this series? It's good. It's like I, I, I told people, buckle up, Buttercup, because Romans is tough. But it's like I love it. And this morning we're gonna we're gonna finish up with Romans chapter five, and 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 I wanna I, I wanna I wanna just kind of kind of put this out to you because one of the amazing theme. Uh, that we see in Romans 5 is there's this theme of God setting in place a plan to restore us to Him and to pursue us even when we, before we understood that we needed it. We did not know that we needed it. Probably something in us understood that, listen, I don't know what's going on, but this is not all that there is. But God knew what was happening and He put in a plan to place. God is a pursuer. And we have something, I'm going to read Romans 5, 6 through 8. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows His love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so we have something created in us, created because we are created in the image of God that knows how to pursue, pursue stuff when we want to. Amen? I'm telling you what, my wife knows how to pursue a Goodwill store yeah. or a thrift store. I mean, you, listen, ladies, if you want to spend some time with Pastor Robbie, I'm telling you what, all you got to do is dangle out a thrift store shopping small group thing and she would be all over it. It's her love language. It's not really my love language, but because it's her love language, I will I will, set, I will drop her off at the curb at goodwill or whatever, and sometimes I will just take a nap in the truck, um, every once in a while, I'll go in just because I feel like I just like her going fishing with me, every once in a while, I just want to be with her what she's doing, what she loves to do. But we know how to pursue stuff. Listen. I, like, for example, I'm a researcher. Before I buy something, I research it. I look at articles. I look at reviews. I talk to other people. And many times I will know as much as a salesperson does or more at time before I go in to buy something. People up in this neck of woods, we know how to research. We know how to pursue things. We know how to hunt for things. We know how to find firewood. We know how to, you know, look for elk. We know how to, you know, uh, go after morel mushrooms or huckleberries, right? But the the, the thing is, you find some, you don't tell anybody right? I tell you, but I have to kill you, right? I mean, it's one of those things. And, but but, but we, we, we employ like guys, we employ special clothes. We employ scents and cameras. We predict the weather. I've got one, one brother of mine that I've hunted with, and he's got an app on his phone, and all I have to say is, hey, bro, how many days until elk season? And he tells me right to the day. Yeah, yeah, 29 days and counting. I mean, we know how to pursue stuff, right? Fishing apps, there's, there's barometer type stuff. There's, there's stuff that you put on your phone that tells you, you know, well, I can hunt on this because it's private land. I can hunt on this because it's, it's public land, etc., etc., etc. Or you talk about a guy that is really into fishing. He shows up with his boat and he's got a sporting goods store right there. <laughs> Amen? So listen, as good as we can be in pursuing stuff, you need to know that God is a pursuer. That's where it originated from. You know, in the garden, as this chapter 5 deals with Adam, and we're going to unpack that, God was the first pursuer. Adam and Eve, when they sinned, when they fell, when they fought, they didn't run towards God. They actually ran away from God and they hid from God. It says in Genesis 3, 8-9, and when they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden, I mean, I mean come on, let's time out right there. Can you imagine the life that Adam had? the life that Eve had to where every day they would hear the sound of God coming to them and they would walk with God in the garden. The creator of the universe, the creator of everything that they'd seen. And they get to walk with him. And, and it said, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden but the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? That was the first missionary journey right there. Where are you? Isn't that amazing? God's response. Man hides and God follows. Man leaves and God pursues. You know, I think at the heart, the motivation and the passion to reach out with every Every, you know, missionary trip we do, every neighborhood that we try to reach, every person after it is the question inside, the first question that God asks, where are you? That's in us as believers because it's in God. We see the heart that God had to pursue illustrated in Isaiah 65. It says, I was sought by those who did not seek me. I was found by those who did not seek me. I said, here I am, here I am to a nation that was not called by my name. I've stretched my hands all day long to a rebellious people who walk in a way that's not good according to their own thoughts. It brought to mind, as I was just praying about this, the story in the life of the, of the Samarian woman at the well. And it illustrates the kind of people that God pursues and calls to restore to relationship with Him. So we, we see that Jesus was passing through Samaria and He stopped by Jacob's well to rest. I'm not going to cover the whole passage for the sake of time, but want to look at a few key verses to give you the story. So in John 4, 7, it said, a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. We look at verse 10, as they continued the discourse, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And then we find in verse 15, the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have come here to draw water. And Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. Trick question. The woman answered, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right in saying I have no husband. For you've had five husbands and the one you have now is not your husband. What you've said is true. And the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. I mean, really, to me, this is like, whoa, that's crazy. He just read my mail. Oh yeah, you're a prophet. Something shifted in that moment. But this passage illustrates really quickly the four types of people that God is seeking, that God is pursuing. You see that she was lonely. She was alone at the well because of her life, her choices, her reputation, and she had no community. I'm telling you right now, there are people that you, they, they, they might be busy. You might see a lot of people around them, but actually intrinsically they have no community. And they're hungry for community. We see, secondly, she was thirsty. And it wasn't the, it wasn't the physical thirst. It was the emptiness inside. And Jesus actually spoke to a greater thirst than what she actually realized was in her. Thirdly, she was broken. She was broken because her reputation was shattered. And you know, a lot of times when people, their reputation is shattered, what do they do? They hide. Just like Adam and Eve did in the garden. They hide and they need somebody to pursue them. God wants to pursue them. We have to pursue the people that God would pursue. If we're going to be like Jesus, we have to, you can either be in your comfort zone or you can be where Jesus would want you to be. And fourthly, she was sinful. She was continuing in that destructive pattern and lifestyle. You know, and this is what strikes me. Jesus went out of his way to seek her. She could, because proper Jews despised the people of Samaria and they would, they would take a longer route to avoid them because they had built their own temple. They were considered half-breeds. It was like if you were a good Jew, a proper Jew, you wouldn't go. You wouldn't be actually going through Samaria. You take a longer route so you could avoid that. And that was really interesting to me because when I even thought about she's at Jacob's well, the profound, incredible things that happened at Jacob's well. And then the enemy comes in and shifts things and pretty soon God's people are actually avoiding a place that should have been an absolute memory post for them. That's where... I don't have time to go through all this. I got a lot of stuff this morning. See, God is not looking for perfect people or pretend perfect people. He's looking for the lonely. He's looking for the thirsty. He's looking for the broken. He's looking for the sinful people. And a lot of times what happens as believers is we tend to avoid sinful people. I don't smoke and I don't chew and I don't go with girls like you. And I'm telling you what, there's a difference between being influenced and being an influencer. There's a difference between being in the wrong crowd and actually being in a crowd because you're actually building a bridge. We're called to be bridge builders. We're called to be relational builders because if we draw a relationship and then we point people to Jesus, that's really the heart of what we see God doing. But let's look at Romans. I told you, get it back to Romans 5. You guys with me? 12 through 14. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man. Somebody say one man. This message is called one man, if you're taking notes, and death through sin. So death spread to all men because all sin, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there's no law. Yet death reigned from Adam. Somebody say Adam. Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. The world has a sin problem. Mankind has a sin problem, and you and I have a sin problem. Our culture diminishes sin, glorifies sin, celebrates sin, make movies about sin, make uh, songs about sin, and we elevate sin and we a lot of times ignore sin but i'm telling you what you can't ignore sin because there are wages involved with sin hamartiology fancy word that scholars use it basically means the biblical teaching concerning sin hamartiology there are false doctrines of sin as well as a half a dozen different christian theories and teachings on sin so the the really quick the christian Teachings on sins would be um, Pelagian, uh, Pelagianism, Arminian, New School, Federal, Media, Imputation, or the Augustinian Theory. We're not going to break all those down, but I'm saying even even in the Christian world, the Christian scheme, there's different thoughts and different studies and different ways that we kind of look at sin and try to understand sin. But I'm telling you what, a lot of times it's hard to understand this. Why did what Adam did should affect me like this? Because it says we were, you know, uh, David says, I was born in iniquity. So there's something here that, that we, 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 we look at sin, and, and we have to admit that history, along with the conscience of mankind, testify to the reality of sin. Creation declares it. Think about this. It's like nature can even be at war with itself. Nature can be at war with man. I mean, at times it's blessing us and we're loving it. And then there's the storm and then there's a the hurricane and then there's a the flood. It's almost like we're fighting against nature where maybe a week before we were being blessed by nature. It's a conflict. There's something that's, that's happening it where it can be both a blessing and a curse. His, human history declares it, that there's sin. Human logic declares that there's sin. Human conscience declares that there's sin. Human experience declares that there's sin. Human religions declare it. Scripture declares that there's sin. The reality. Every family is touched by it. It's the only thing that makes sense. It's why you got the Adams family. You know, it's why everybody seems like to have an Uncle Fester you know, or a crazy Uncle Larry, or just, I mean, something that's happening. I mean, you look at your family tree and you go, oh my goodness, man, this is as good except for this. It's the brokenness, it's the messed up, the out of order, it's the injustice that we encounter that stained the very fabric of humanity. And it's a slow death that actually started in the garden. So I want to, sometimes, I just want to like, tell Adam bro you had one thing one thing bro one thing one thing you weren't supposed to touch one thing that actually God reserved for himself now for you like deeper theologians you realize what that one thing was it was a type and shadow actually of the tithe it was I can prove it to you scripturally but I'm not going to do that this morning because you don't want to be here for two hours Oh, except you do. So we'll do it. All right, now I'm messing with you. Stephen on the front row. I love guys on the front row. Like, like, go, go, go. It's like preaching in Africa. I mean, I'm telling you what. The first time I preached in Africa, I kind of did my normal. I did my normal, you know, 40, 45 minute thing. And I sat down and the pastor's wife kind of leaned over and looked at me and goes, is that all you got? <laughs> like, whoa, okay. Next time we're going to double down on this thing. But think about this. Adam had one restriction. He had one boundary. He had one step. And then sometimes when I get a little bit like, oh, I'm so angry at Adam, I realize, man, how many times have I had one thing? How many times have I had one thing and I didn't follow through with it? How many times did I have one thing and I failed with it? So then I have to have grace for Adam. So I want to unpack a bit the the garden scene as it's absolutely foundational, because we read it in chapter 5, again, Romans 5, 12, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sin. So let's go back to the beginning. In Genesis 3, verse 1, y'all ready? Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field, that the Lord God had made. And He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? I think that's just amazing because there's already there's the twisting of God's Word. There's actually the accusation that, did God really say that? Was that promise of God really for you? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. So she knew the boundary. She knew exactly what God had said. And then, and then it said, but, but the serpent said to the woman, oh, you're really not going to die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God. Wow, there's, there's, a, there's a heresy. Knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was a delight to the eye and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her. Really important to know that. Who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked. Or if you come from the south, they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. This started with a man not leading his family. What is the story of Adam? See, I think that the greatest risk that God took because of love was free will. And Adam chose. Now if you think about this, if you unpack this, Adam, Adam, it wasn't environmental. It wasn't because he had a bad dad. It wasn't because he was abused. It wasn't because he had, you know, this thing happening in his past. He had the perfect father. He had the perfect scenario. Everything was good, but he still had free will and he chose. He wasn't bound to sin because sin hadn't entered the garden yet. He made a decision. And, and one of the things I think is important to know, we, we've been freed from the power of sin, but we still have to take responsibility as we have choices. You have a choice whether you will gossip. You have a choice whether you will lie, whether you will steal, whether you will have sex outside of marriage, outside of the covenant, you have a choice whether you will do this or do that, etc. There's still that free will that's going in there, but I'm telling you what the power that used to basically draw you into that is actually broken because of Jesus, and we're going to unpack that. Now, Adam, it's interesting to me this this Pastor Stephen. This has only occurred to me this morning. It's interesting to me that Adam was never mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. Is called the hall of faith, the chapter of faith. And it was interesting that, you know, you had all these giants in God and even actually Cain and Abel. And you're talking about Abel. And I'm like, but Adam had a chance to do a great reset. And it it, it wasn't, you never see that Adam was actually commended for his faith after that. That was interesting to me. But when I see an Adam, I see the old Adam in us that abdicated responsibility, that blame shifts, that was passive. Adam's sin was of omission. Eve's was of commission. And then we read verse 12. The man said, the woman you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. Man, he just threw his wife under the bus. I'm thinking about this. This is pretty crazy. It's like, ah, uh, she did it. We have a tendency to kind of blame shift a lot. Well, the devil made me do it. No, you actually had a choice. Because actually the Word says that, the, that, that you will not be tempted beyond what you can actually bear. See, verse 12 was the first act of a victim mentality, the first blameship and accusation that questioned the goodness of God. And I think it's important to, to, to point out that Eve sinned first, but when God came, He came looking for Adam first. He actually came to the responsible one. There's a headship that God created in the beginning and you see that God went to the responsible one first. My story was I, I knew, you know, I actually... I'd been raised up in church and I had a foundation in me, but I'd really kind of fallen away. But when Robbie and I were going to get married, we started talking about marriage. I told her, I said, listen, you, you don't look at my life the way it is right now, but I know that I have to walk with Jesus. I've got to be committed to God. She wasn't a believer. She maybe could remember as a little kid going to church a time or two. And, but, but for her, it was like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, I just, I just know that I'm supposed to walk with Jesus. I actually led her to the Lord before I recommitted my life to the Lord. I led her to the Lord. And then I had a problem because now she wanted to go to church. And I didn't really want to go to church yet. I still wanted to be a rock and roll guitar player, and that's all I really wanted to do. Rock and roll forever, man. And so I remember one morning she gets up and it's about 10 o'clock and I think the Seahawks were playing that morning, morning, you know, 10 o'clock game. And, and you know, the Seahawks are a lot, lot more important than church. And I'm not, and, she, and she's like, are you going to church? I'm like, no, I'm not going to go to church. I probably had a beer cracked and I was ready to, you know, whatever. And I remember her, she, she got angry at me. So she did sin. <laughs> and she slammed the door And I'm sitting in my my big king chair, right? Or whatever it was. And, And she said, I'm tired of being the spiritual leader of our family. And I probably slammed my beer down to God. Well, you're not the spiritual leader of our family. I am. And then she walks out and she goes to church. And the Lord just like, I knew. Even though she... She was worshiping. She was going to church. She was reading the Bible. She was doing all these things that once. But God had not said, okay, now you can be the spiritual leader of the family now. You've earned it. No, because there's an order that's in place. Man, your wife may have a stronger personality. She might read the Bible more. She might pray more. She might pr- My wife has always prayed better than me. I pray and it's about this long. She prays and it's like, man, you could add a whole new book to the Bible. That's why I don't let my wife pray for dinner. (laughs) No, I'm messing with you. I'm super teasing. I want to eat when it's hot. (laughs) She might hear God better than you. She might go to church more than you. But there's still the order that God set into place. Husbands, God still looks to you first. Fathers, you set the priorities and model what they should look like to your children. And if you're a single mom here this morning, God bless you because I was, I was raised up with a single, single mom as a parent and I know how hard it was for her. But listen, I'm talking to fathers. I'm talking to husbands. I'm talking to men. I love that we have a strong men's ministry because I'm convinced that if we get the men first, the family will follow. The more that we impact, and equip, and inspire men to follow God, I found the less warfare that the family goes through. Because now you've got somebody that's not only a shepherd, but you also got somebody that's a sheepdog that's actually directing the traffic for your family. The Bible recounts story after story of mighty men. David's mighty men. And I believe our churches, our communities, our region, our nation, they need godly, spirit-led, spirit-formed, and spirit-equipped men that bring heaven to earth. See, my family changed when I got off the couch. My family changed when I got out of the chair. My family changed when I got into my prayer closet. My family changed when I was filled and baptized with the Holy Spirit. My family was changed when I decided attending church would be a priority. My family changed when I decided to engage in worship and not be merely a spectator. My family changed when I decided to read the Bible consistently and be washed with the water of God's Word and be transformed in my mind and my thinking and my feelings. My family changed when I decided to give, to be generous, to be, to be a tither. My family changed when my addictions were broken. This is your story, men. Adam's decision affected the earth. Adam's free will affected the earth. Your free will, your decision will affect the next generation. It's time to get off the couch. It's time to get rid of the couch. Come on, can we be be real? Can we just put our hands together and give the Lord a, a shout this morning? I know that was probably hard for some of you to hear, but I'm going to tell you this. Can I, just, can I just share my heart with you? God did not come to condemn you. He came to convict you, and conviction is a good thing. You, conviction shows you an area where you need to change and go the other way, and there's an amazing blessing when you turn, when you respond. Amen? Never be afraid of conviction. Never be afraid of confession because the Holy Spirit and the Word of God will continually say, hey, you know, walk this way. Walk this way. Do this. You need to change this. Okay? Let's do that. We have a sin problem and we have an old nature problem that goes back to the garden until the one man, until the one man set us free. Romans 5.15. Here we go. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. Man, I'm telling you what, that is the good news. The good news is that you could not help yourself, but God decided, I will help you. We were born in Adam. And in Adam, the word defined is, actually means mankind. We were born in Adam, and that led to sin and death. But we're born again in Jesus. That leads to eternal life and to a new nature. Praise God for a new nature. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. Man, I tell you what, my wife is so happy that the old me passed away and that I'm leaning into the new I'm leaning because because when 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 God does something in my life it affects my marriage it affects my children it affects my grandchildren it affects the legacy that that basically God wants to work so basically you gotta you, you gotta embrace this thing see the old you is not like the new you is that amazing I mean, to me, what great hope that brings. I am so glad. I'm so glad the old Robbie is not like the new Robbie. Amen? Yeah. Not like the new Jeff. Yeah. Right? But here's the problem. Sometimes, sometimes we still try to, by our free will, we make choices. And we go, yeah, that old man's dead, but oh man, there was some good things about that old man. I wonder if I could just let him come up a little bit and... Revisit that a little bit. And so there's a, there's a struggle sometimes. There is. But you've been released from the power of sin. Can I have our worship team come up? You, have, you still have a free will and you still can make a choice to sin. Can I say this? I say this to me. I say this to you and I say this to me. Stop sinning. Stop. Because I've been released from the power of it. Does that mean that I... S- I'm sinless, no, but it should mean that I sin less, because now my nature is not leaning towards that old nature, that old Adam. I'm leaning toward the new Adam. I'm not leaning toward the, 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 the one man in the natural. I'm leaning into the one man in the spirit. Later in John, with the woman who was caught in adultery, Jesus said this in John 8:11, "Neither do I condemn you." but go and sin no more. How can I do that, God? It's the power of grace in my life. It's the power of grace in my life. How many of you have realized that sometimes your your self-will, your self-discipline works to a point, and then there's times where you just realize, man, I just fell off the wagon again. I'm going to eat right. I know I'm going to eat right. I'm going to eat clean. I'm not going to have those cupcakes at that wedding I was just at. And then somebody just brings a whole plate right before you, and you're like, well, maybe just this one time. Problem is, every time that happens, you, you fail. Now, I'm going to tell you, I resisted. I, I, I didn't. I didn't want to resist. Oh, so nobody brought me one. I was waiting. John, for 1 John to one says my little children these things I write to you so that you may not sin John's saying I would that you would sin not Wow. do you mean that there is a new life that there's a there's a new there's a new nature yes see sin used to have rain that word rain is dominion it's bowing down to its subject to in your life we had a we had We had a sin-centered life, a sin attraction life. Sin begins, begets sin, and we couldn't save ourselves. Religion doesn't save you. Self-discipline, willpower doesn't save you, but putting your faith in Jesus, your trust in Him, if you will, that attaches to Him, brings salvation, and it breaks the supernatural power of sin in our life. I'm telling you what, preaching on sin is not real popular. But we have to preach the Bible. We have to realize this is an issue. And then verse 21, here it is. It says there's a new reign. I was under the old reign. Now we are under the new reign. It's a reign of grace. It says in Romans 5, 21, so that as sin reigned in death, bowed before, subject to It says, grace also might reign through the righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus our Lord. Can I just declare this over you? The power of sin has been broken over your life if you are in Jesus. Come on, the power of it. There was a supernatural power of it. You couldn't help yourself. It touched you, and now there's a new reign. We were all born under Adam. All stained. All affected by sin. No one got out. There was a rain if you will. It it, it touched my actions. It touched my emotions. It touched my decisions. It touched my filter. And we leaned into sin because we were born into sin. And then God came looking. And what He said is where are you? Where are you? Because where you are now is not what's in my heart for you. Where are you? Where are you hiding now? Adam, where are you hiding? Because you were created to walk with God. You were created to hear the sound of God. You were created to have God direct your life. You were created to have God fill this void that nothing can fill. You were created for the living water. You are thirsty for something and only Jesus can fill it. And then the one man. And when we open our heart to Him, faith attaches us to him and we're freed from this illegal operating system that permeates there and now my lean now your lean now my inclination now your inclination is towards righteousness is towards God and it doesn't mean once again that you're sinless but it means that you sin less and the more that you allow grace to be your filter your mind to be transformed And recognize there's a high calling on your life to hear the sound of God walking in the garden of your life. You find contentment, peace, and purpose. Lord, help us to grasp sometimes what's just the mystery of your word and the mystery of your will and the mystery of your heart. That while we were yet sinners, you died. Jesus, you died for us. If you're here this morning and you would be born again, maybe everybody in this place has already made that decision, opened the door of your heart and said, I believe, I have faith, I'm trusting in Jesus. I want you to bow your head just for a moment this morning. And if you're here and and your confession would be I need Jesus, and I'm here to open the door of my heart. I need a Savior. Nobody looking around but me. Please just lift your hand. Let me agree with you. If you're saying, Pastor, today I want to give my heart to this Jesus. I want to be rescued from the old Adam into new life. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Anybody else this morning? If you're saying today I want to I want to receive Jesus. Lord, make sure I see you. It's, it's it's really important. We do this in community. In the mouth of two or three, Jesus said, let everything be established. He said, if you profess me before men on earth, I will confess you before my Father in heaven. Wow, that's so powerful. Hey, can we put our hands together and just celebrate this young man that gave his life to